Welcome everybody to Victory this morning. Who's happy to be in church this morning? Anybody excited yeah, to be in church? I want to go ahead and welcome those who are watching online as well. Come on, can we welcome our church family just all together on Sunday? Just excited to have you. Go ahead and grab out your Bible and your message notes. Come on, we believe in taking notes here at Victory. I want you to jot some things down as we study God's Word today. And I'm just honored to be with you this Sunday. I've had a couple of awesome weeks off. Come on, somebody. It's been incredible for my own personal self. Didn't Kirby do an incredible job, though, in these last three weeks? I've just been so encouraged with the series on a mission, just talking about outreach and talking about what our goal is as Christians, uh, what we should be as a church. Just been incredible. Uh, last three weeks. I've enjoyed those, but I'm fired up to preach today. I'm going to bring you a standalone message. Uh, What that means is, if you're new to our culture, uh, we typically throughout the year study the Bible in series or rally around a particular book of the Bible uh, or a topic to do a few Sundays together. But today is a standalone, so it's not connected uh, to any of the messages that we brought to you. But I had a unique opportunity these last few weeks to kind of step back from the campus. I don't know, we've got a few ministries you might not know uh, here on the campus between the church and the school. Uh, we have a Spanish congregation and other things that we do uh, that we oversee throughout the week. But I had a chance just to kind of step back and refocus, uh, spend some time with my family, spend some time kind of on myself. I don't know if you know this, you might not ever think about it, but I also need pastoring. Come on, somebody. I also need uh, spiritual growth in my own life, in my own personal walk with the Lord. And so I had an opportunity uh, to really focus on that these last few weeks. I had the opportunity, like I said, to spend time with my family, but also to spend time with the Lord, to really grow, to listen uh, to leaders that I respect in the kingdom of God, men and women, giants of the faith uh, that I could listen to and grow, uh, listen to podcasts and sermons and just just work on myself. All right. It's a little selfish to say that, but just uh, hang with me a little bit. But if you ask the pastoral staff here at the church. They will tell you that there is one person, one speaker, one author that I like above all the others that I will always go to when I need some encouragement, when I need to grow, that I got the books and the podcasts and the YouTube videos. And that is John Maxwell. Anybody know John just has such an incredible influence. If you don't know, I encourage you to listen to some of his works, read some of his books, just an incredible blessing to the kingdom of God. And so that's someone that I go back to. In fact, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity uh, to take our staff to a church conference here in the southeast. And we went to learn and grow. And at the first session, they announced that the keynote speaker, the surprise speaker that night was going to be John Maxwell. And so they announced it. Then we all went out to eat and we were coming back for that night session. And you can ask the staff at that that dinner that we went out to eat to. I told them I'm driving the bus and I don't care if you're on it or not. I'm going to hear John. All right. So if you guys stuff your fries down your throat, get ready, finish your onion rings. We're going to go hear John. And so this has just been something in my life for the last, I'd say, six or seven years that I've grown from. And I've had the opportunity the last couple of weeks to really uh, personally grow in terms of leadership and things that I've learned. And so it kind of encouraged or inspired today's message. Just in those ideas of leadership, I wanted to bring what I've learned. I wanted to kind of bring what I've grown and not exactly what I've learned, but I wanted to kind of change it into a setting uh, that would work on a Sunday morning. This is something I've planned to do for a while. But I want to do it in maybe a different way. I want to take a story from the Old Testament, something I love to do. And I want to preach some principles out of that story. Just ways that I've grown from listening to giants of the faith. And ways that we can grow as a church this Sunday morning. You guys awake in church today? All right. You ready for that? I want to give you some principles of life that we can learn. And it's out of the book of Nehemiah. 
Because one thing that I've noticed, and this is not just from studying leaders or from studying things within the kingdom of God. This is just from a general perspective, just from looking at our culture. One thing I've noticed that's grown in the last few years is that we are a world that continually and increasingly appreciates and celebrates average. We are a culture that has begun to put average on a pedestal. We've begun to kind of raise esteem for average and kind of lose esteem for anything else. And so we say things like, I've shown up for my job on time every day this year, so I deserve like a medal or something, right? I deserve like a promotion. I don't know what you want from me. I was on time every day. Listen to me, everybody. That's called your job. Come on, somebody. And they did give you a medal. It's called a paycheck. Come on, work with me here. And so we have increasingly begun to celebrate average. If I'm just better than, a little bit better than the average, then maybe I should receive a medal. And we give out participation trophies. Y'all know my stance on that. I'm not going to dig on that anymore. But we say, you've done a great job. Here's a trophy. It's if you didn't do a great job, you lost every game. Come on, somebody. And you probably don't even know how to play the sport. Probably shouldn't be involved in sports. Bo Pelini, come on, somebody. You probably shouldn't. Have those things. Can I just say, by the way, I forgot to say this at the beginning. LSU did not lose yesterday. Who's with me? We're going to celebrate our victories. Come on, somebody. We did not lose. We didn't play, in case you're in the dark. We just didn't. But we celebrate. We say, even if you lost every game of the season, we're going to give you a trophy because we want you to feel good about yourself. No, we don't. As God's people, this has seeped into our spirituality. As people called by God, we are not called to average. We are not called to live lives of average. We're not called to just meet the status quo. We are called to something more. And I want to show it to you in Ephesians chapter 3. Watch this. We've been studying through Ephesians on our Wednesday night services. I will continue it this Wednesday night as well. But I want to show you in verse 20. It says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his, his mighty power at work within us, and watch this, to accomplish infinitely more. Read that part with me. To accomplish infinitely more. Let's say those two words, infinitely more than we might ask or think. We serve a God who wants to do infinitely more. We serve a God whose power is at work within us to do infinitely more than we can ask or think. And in the next couple of verses, Paul goes on to implore them. He says, I urge you to live worthy then of the call that you've received. Live worthy of the call that you've received. And so this morning, our message is just called, called. To live worthy of the calling because we serve a God who can do infinitely more. You take whatever thing you can even imagine, anything you could even ask for, multiply it by infinity and it's still still too small for what God wants to do in your life. What God wants to accomplish in the world around you. That he has plans for your life. He has a purpose for you. It's his power at work within us to do infinitely more. And so I want to talk to you today not about being average but about being called. What it means to be called. What it means to live out the purpose of infinitely more, that God wants to affect the world around us. He wants to use us, but we have to get out of this mindset of just meeting the status quo. We have to open our lives to a God who wants to do infinitely more. And so for the backdrop of our story, I want to use Nehemiah. I've always loved Nehemiah, uh, one of my favorite characters of the Old Testament, just because he is real. If you guys know me, I like people in the Bible that just express their emotions and they're just real. Nehemiah has anger issues. He has emotions. He has leadership things. But he grows into such an incredible leader. 
And he makes such an incredible impact on his people and on the ones around him. And so I'll give you his backstory if you've never heard of Nehemiah before. Nehemiah is a Jew living in Babylon in the Old Testament. And so the children of Israel, when they got to the promised land, God had prophesied over them, if you follow my commandments, if you listen to what I'm saying, if you hold true to the things that I've given you, then I'll allow you to stay in the land. You can stay in the promised land and be successful and thrive, and I'm going to bless you. But if you don't, it's this pesky little second part to it, right, that the children of Israel didn't like very much. He says, if you don't listen to me, then I'm going to take you and remove you from the promised land. If you don't hold to my precepts, if you don't hold to the truths that I'm giving you. And so the children of Israel, they listen and they follow after other gods. And they don't, they don't turn their ear to Yahweh, the one true God. And so God, after warning, after warning, after warning, sends the Babylonians to capture them. And they take the children of Israel into captivity for 70 years. And Nehemiah, when we come across his story, he's a Jew now in captivity in Babylon. He was probably born into slavery. But because of God's hand on his life, Nehemiah rises to this great position of prominence in Babylon. This position of power. He's the cupbearer to the king. And then he leverages that position. He uses it to make an influence on his people's lives. Because his brother comes back from the promised land. His brother comes back and says, Jerusalem, you wouldn't even recognize it, Nehemiah. The gates are broken down. The the walls are burned with fire. There's not a stone on top of another stone. The people who live there can't defend themselves. We are a laughingstock to the nation around us. That we are, we have become dejected and the people there are broken. And you wouldn't even recognize Jerusalem, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah's heart, if you read the book, his heart is moved with compassion and he risks everything. He risks his reputation. He risks his relationship with the king. All the blessings and things that had come because of his hard work in this land of Babylon. He risks it all to make a difference on behalf of others. The Nehemiah doesn't need this, but he does it to make a difference on behalf of the others. And he accomplishes the impossible. Watch this. Nehemiah chapter 6. I want to show you the ending before we go back and work our way through the story. It says, on October the 2nd, the wall was finished. Just 52 days after we had begun. Now this wall, they had attempted to rebuild it over a period of 80 years. They had been unable to rebuild this wall. For 80 years, they had struggled to rebuild this thing. And Nehemiah comes in, and in less than two months... He does what they could not accomplish in 80 years. In 52 days, he does this thing and he accomplishes that. And I believe it's a picture of what God wants to do in your life. That Nehemiah does the impossible. God wants to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ask or think. He wants to do in your life in two months what people couldn't do in a lifetime. God wants to do infinitely more. It's the God that we serve, that his power is at work within us to influence the world around us. God wants to do infinitely more. Y'all awake at church this morning. I'm going to ask you that. until I'm going to preach to myself all this morning, all right? So I'm going to give you some principles. In fact, I'm going to give you four principles out of the life of Nehemiah that are, redundant, that are things that are done by the people who are called. That are things that are in the life of those who are called. Number one, jot it down if you're taking notes today. First thing you need is a compelling purpose. First thing you have to have in your life as called is a compelling purpose. You have to have a vision or a plan of what you could accomplish. You see, in in his mind's eye, Nehemiah sees the city of Jerusalem. And before anybody else could see it, he sees the prominence and the wall and everything restored. Before anybody else could see that, Nehemiah could see it. He had a dream in his heart of what could take place. And watch this out of Ephesians chapter 1 about our purpose in this world. It says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. That it's in Christ that we have been called to find out who we are and what we're living for. In other words, you'll never find meaning in your life until you connect with your creator. Until you find out who made you, you'll never find out what you were made for. 
Because too often we're running around to other people, other creations, and asking them, what was I made for? We're asking other things, what do you think I was made for? Other things, what do you think my thing is? When we're supposed to go to the one who created the thing and ask him what it was made for. Until you connect with your creator, you won't have a compelling purpose. You won't find out what your purpose is. But then we realize that we're part of an overall purpose. That he's working out in everything and everyone. That we're a part of the purpose that God has called us to. The overarching purpose of our lives. That God has a plan in this world. It means God has a master plan that he's gifted you in order to bring it about. You have to have a dream of what God wants to do in your world. You have to have a dream of a better future than what you see right now. You have to have a compelling purpose. If we're going to live lives as the called... If we're the church, if we're going to live lives that make a difference in the world around us, we have to have a dream of what it could be, of what God is calling us to do. It always takes a dreamer. You look at the civil rights movement where it had absolutely no momentum and it wasn't going anywhere until a young African-American preacher stood up and said, I see and I have a dream of something that could be better. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a vision, a dream of what it could be, what God has called this nation to be. It always takes someone who's dreaming. And it's incredible. And the civil rights movement caught fire. And it just went on to be this incredible momentum shift in our country. And there are rights we're still fighting for. We should have fought for a long time ago. But praise God, we're not where we were. Praise God, because of someone who had a dream, we're not where we were. That there could be a difference that's made. And so if we're going to be people who are called, we have to have a compelling purpose. We have to get that dream. Jot it down. John Maxwell says it this way. I love this. Those who are called... See more than others see, and they see it before others see. They see more than others see with their eyes. Nehemiah saw more than anybody had dreamed. They weren't able to even just rebuild the wall. He saw the city rebuilt. They weren't able to see, and they see it before others see. And he thought about Jerusalem. It's important for us to see those things. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we should be visionary leaders. We should be able to see things and see needs that arise and see these things that trends and culture and move to meet those needs. We should be able to see those to make a difference in the world around us, a vision that others don't have. It's what we need to remember that we're for. And you remember to ask, well, what is what is the calling and the purpose? What is it for? We talked about this the last three weeks. It's about everything and everyone. And that verse in Ephesians says it's about everything and everyone. It's about others. That the dream God has put in your heart is not just about you. In fact, I would guarantee and say 99% it's not about you. It's about the ones around you, about impacting the world around you. Now, I'm a little hot this morning. Can we turn on the air if anybody's got control of that? Anybody else a little hot? Maybe you come sit under these lights a couple of times, all right? But let me put it this way for you. If you're taking notes, don't live for success. Live for significance. Don't live for success. Live for significance. Because success is all about achieving goals. You say, well, I have a goal and I'm just going to meet it. And how many goals can I meet? That's selfish. We say, well, how many companies can I build and what kind of difference can I make and how many things can I do and how much money can I accumulate? That's self-focused and it's self-serving. Significance is selfless. When you live for significance instead of success, it's all about adding value. It's all about making a difference. It's about lifting the people around you. Don't spend all your time trying to convince everybody that you are great. Don't spend all your conversations and all your interactions with the people trying to convince them how amazing and incredible you are. Spend it lifting and loving other people. Spend it making a difference in the world around you. That's what we are called to. As Christians, we are called to be salt and to be light. We're called to make the world a better place, to bring the love of Jesus to others. It's what we're called to do. We have this compelling purpose that impact the people around us. 
Number two, jot it down if you're taking notes. In order for it to come to pass, we have to have a clear perspective. You have to have a compelling purpose, something that you're working towards. But if you ever want to see it actually happen, you have to have a clear perspective. Watch this, Nehemiah in chapter 2, he has this in verse 8. He says, because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So Nehemiah finally gets the opportunity to approach the king with his request, to ask him what he wants him to do. And he goes before him and says, oh king, I want you to send me to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. To rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And by the way, O king, I remember that you were the one who shut it down in the first place. And I I remember that you were the one who stopped any rebuilding on it. And I remember that you were personally opposed to it being rebuilt. So not only do I want you to send me, I also want you to pay for it. Come on, somebody. And he goes before the king with this request. And I want you to authorize it. I want you to pay for it. And the king says yes. I don't know what that presentation looked like, but Nehemiah goes before the king and the king says, yes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to send you. You have my blessing, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, watch this. What I love about this story, he doesn't go in his personal journal and write, I, yeah, I got it done. I am a baller. I am the most incredible. Hashtag success. Hashtag, right, blessed by the opportunity. Just nailed the presentation. That's not what Nehemiah says. Watch what he writes. He says, and because the hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Not because of how great my presentation was, not because I went on Shark Tank and got my thing bought out by whoever, not because I'm so incredible, but because the hand of God was on me, the king granted my request. If we're going to have a purpose in life and then we're going to have a perspective of how to get that thing done, we have to live in humility. We have to recognize where the blessing comes from. We have to have a clear perspective of ourselves. We have to know ourselves. One of the greatest things we can learn from Nehemiah that happens to us in life, when we become a Christian, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you. When you become a Christian, and because of that, you and I are given gifts. You and I are given gifts to bless the body of Christ, to impact the world around us. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we're given gifts to impact the world. And we live lives out of that gifting. It enables us to live out the purpose that we talked about. The problem for so many of us comes is we begin to equate the gift with ourselves. We begin to see the giftings as something that we did. And so when people come and say, hey, you're so great and you're so kind and you're so compassionate and you're so eloquent. And I just I love the way that you treat people. And I just love the way you do that. And you're so loving. We're just living out the gifts that God has given to us. We're living out the gifts, but we think they're complimenting us. We begin to think, I am so great. You know what? I appreciate that. I am a great speaker, and I am a great person to other people, and I really am very loving, and I am very compassionate. We begin to equate the gifts with ourselves. We think they're complimenting us, but they're complimenting the gift. Now, I'm not saying we can't be confident. I'm saying it's wrong to take the credit. I'm not saying don't be confident. I'm saying don't take the credit, because it's the gifting of the Holy Spirit put in us to impact the people around us. That's why he's gifted us. Watch this, how Jesus says it in John chapter 15. He says, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Put that on your refrigerator this week, somebody. Let that encourage you on the thing. Apart from Jesus, you and I can do nothing. Apart from him, we can do nothing. I don't know what you've been told in your life that you could do this and do that. Apart from Jesus, we can accomplish nothing for the kingdom of God. There's nothing that we can accomplish in our lives. We can do nothing. It's one of my favorite quotes from John Maxwell. Watch this. He says, God chooses to use me, but he doesn't need me. 
Come on, somebody. Welcome to Victory this week. We're here to encourage you. God chooses to use me, and I'm so thankful for it, but he doesn't need me. You've got to get that deep in your heart. God chooses to use us. It's an incredible miracle of God's kingdom. If you know yourself, you know it's a miracle of God's kingdom that he chooses to use us. And I'm grateful for it, but he does not need us. If you ever get to the place where you think that the kingdom of God needs you to continue moving on, then you've gone to a place of pride that's too far. and You will be disqualified for what God has for your life. Be disqualified for the purpose that he has for you. Because reality here is every single one of us, myself included, we are not a thousand steps from stupid. We are not one year from stupid. We are one step from stupid. Come on, somebody. We are one step away. And if I ever take that one step to stupid and I mess up everything in my life, if I ever take that one step, God will remove me and he will raise up somebody in my place with the very same giftings that I have. And victory will keep rolling along. And I'll have to deal with the fact that it was never about me. And he'll do the same thing in your life as well. God chooses to use us, but he does not need us. So we have to have this position of humility, understanding God is not about me. I'm so thankful that you use me. I'm so thankful that you give me opportunities to sow into the kingdom, that you open doors, that you use and give giftings to your people to impact the world. But I understand that the kingdom of God continues on and he'll raise someone else up. That God's purpose, it will be accomplished. So I know myself, I'm so thankful to be connected to the vine that empowers me to impact the world around us. We have to be connected to Jesus. It's the vine that we're connected. Second thing is you have to know your enemy. If you want to begin to live out the purpose and have the right perspective, you have to know your enemy because you have one. Okay, if you stick your head in the sand or you pretend like you don't, you have an enemy of your soul. And if you're going to have a clear perspective, you have to see the threats and the dangers that exist to that purpose. The things that are trying to take it from me. And Nehemiah had it. Anytime you try to make a difference for the Lord, there will be attacks. Watch this in Nehemiah, verse 7. We back up to verse 7. He says, I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to leave me alone. Come on, somebody. How many like to have letters like that, that you could just carry around just telling people, leave me alone? I don't know. Maybe just me. I'd like to have that. Let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. Now, you have to understand this. You know why he needs these letters? Because in the time of the Babylonians, in the time of their rule, there's only so much authority to go around because the Babylonians were in charge. And so they would delegate regional authority to all these regional leaders. They would raise them up and give them a little bit of authority over their province. And so Nehemiah knows how people are. He knows that if Jerusalem begins to rise to prominence again, it's going to take authority from somebody else. And that somebody else is not going to like it. Come on, people are the same across thousands of years. A little bit of authority is going to be taken from somebody else. And so he knows this. And so he's kind of heading it off and asking for protection ahead of time. I want you to know the same thing is true in the spiritual. Anytime that you leverage your gifts for the kingdom of God. Anytime you set out to do something incredible for God, he gives you a purpose and you begin to do that thing. Anytime that happens, you are taking spiritual territory. There is no neutral ground. Anytime you are trying to leverage your gifts, you are taking spiritual territory from the enemy. And he does not like that. Come on, somebody. He does not enjoy that. The devil's not like, oh, well, victory is here in Baton Rouge. Well, and that so-and-so is leveraging their gift and their small group is just exploding. And so I'm just going to go down the road to Houston. That's not what he says. The devil looks at that and he thinks territory is being taken. And so he begins to fight back. 
How many know we're on the winning side, though? Come on, amen, everybody. We're already on it. All we have to do is stand in the authority that's already been given to us by God. It's already been won by Christ at the cross. We stand in that authority. But we have an enemy who does not like that we are taking territory. He doesn't like that we're kicking darkness out of the city of Baton Rouge, out of the state of Louisiana, that we're a part of the kingdom of God. And so we have to fight against that. You have to begin to know where the attacks are coming from. It's part of the resistance that comes from making a difference. And watch this in James chapter 1. In verse 5, it says, if you want the right perspective, if you don't have wisdom in this battle that we're having, if you don't have it, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If you want wisdom in this life that we're living as a follower of Christ, ask God for it, and it will be given freely. I pray some prayer, some form of this verse every day of my life. God, I know I'm going to blow it today. God, I know I'll have the wisdom for whatever it is that's about to come against us. Give me wisdom to see the attacks of the enemy. Give me wisdom in Jesus Christ's name to be able to navigate what I'm going to do. You need that every day. You begin to cry that out in the mornings. Come on, pray some prayer of that that says, Lord, I know I can't do it on my own. I need wisdom to be able to navigate it in your life. Number three, jot it down if you're taking notes. We need a continual prayer. We're going to be people of faith. We're going to be people who are called. We have to have a continual prayer. And Nehemiah is a man of prayer. You read all throughout the book, he prays constantly. Cries out, remember me, O God. Remember me, O God. Remember me, O God. In everything he does, he prays. It's his first response. This is the reason that we pray in January. It's why we set aside the beginning of the year. Three weeks that we pray over the rest of it. It's the reason why we have prayer every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock that we pray over our church. It's the reason that we go to the Lord in prayer. It's why we pray. Because if you want to have an effective life as a called of Jesus Christ, if you want to have an effective life as a soldier in the army of Christ, you have to pray. You can jot it down this way. If you want to hear at victory, we do more than pray, but we don't do anything until we pray. We do more than pray, but we don't do anything. We don't take any step unless there's prayer over it. Unless God is in it, because that's who we want to be as Christians. You need to make sure that you pray on a continual basis. Our Bible reading from last Sunday, it's out of 1 Thessalonians. I wanted to read it with you guys this morning. It says, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Never stop praying. Always be joyful. Be thankful in every circumstance. It's God's will that you would be joyful. And so I want to take you just a moment to implore you. To continually pray. I would implore you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That you can have that spirit inside of you. That I know you're maybe throughout the day you have to be focused on conversations in the world around you and things. But all throughout that, if you have your spirit connected with God's spirit. That you can continually pray throughout the day. That it can be never ending, never ceasing. That we can be people of prayer. That you can start your day in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and it doesn't have to leave after you leave your little devotion time. That it walks with you. That he has promised that he would send a helper that would be with us. So I would just implore you to have that connection. If you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have to have that inside of you so you can continually pray. That it can be a continuous connection with God. We have to have that power in our lives if we're going to be called. And number four, jot it down if you're taking notes. We need to have courageous persistence. We have to have a persistence. You have to have that because there will be adversity that you face. There will be adversity and things that you face. And if you're going to have a tenacity not to quit. Because too oftentimes when the going gets tough, people begin to fall away, begin to lose sight of what it was all for. We have to have a persistence. And people attack Nehemiah. It's not like he just has those letters and everything just goes great for him. As we saw earlier, watch this in chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, And Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall. 
is the leader over that province. He became angry and was greatly incensed and he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? What he's saying is they're insignificant. What they're doing is not important. He begins to ridicule them. He's saying what you're trying to accomplish is impossible. And then watch this, Tobiah in the next verse. Tobiah the Ammonite who was at his side said, What they're building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. What he's saying is you're not doing a good, a good job. What, you're, not, you're not doing something of significance. What you're doing is not important. Listen to me, everybody. This is, this is the attack of discouragement. It's the attack of discouragement. It says you're never going to be good enough. That what you're doing is never going to be important. That the difference that you're making is never going to be big enough. That you're not making an impact on the world. This is the, the danger and the attack of discouragement. And the devil would love to whisper this in your ear. He'd love to creep up while you're trying to do something for God and begin to whisper this into your ear to discourage you. And chances are you might have heard his voice. In the darkest times, if you've been working on your marriage and you're saying, I want to get it back where it was when we first got married. I want to recapture our first love and a whisper in your ear. There's too much water under the bridge and you're never going to do it. You're never going to reclaim that. There's too much pain and there's too much history and it's never going to be like it was. God could never heal that. Or if you're raising kids and you're saying, I want to raise them as godly children. I want them to follow the Lord and he'll try to whisper in your ear. They're never going to serve God. And they're too far and they'll try to bring this attack of discouragement. Or you're trying to work something off of your life. Maybe something that you've dealt with, an addiction or something that has its claws in you. Maybe a generational thing that's been on your family and you're trying to break it off. And he says, well, who are you kidding? People don't change. You can't change. He tries to whisper these things into your ear. The attack of discouragement. Or maybe you're leaning out into your gifts for the first time. You're trying to build something great for God. Trying to step out and maybe this was the first semester you're trying to lead a small group. And who signed up is the definition of a small group. Come on, somebody. I always think it's so funny. People call the church office. It's like, Pastor, we had our small group and only two people showed up. And I'm like, well, you nailed it. You, 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 that's why we called them small groups. That was why we, it's just why, I don't know. Maybe you don't think it's funny. I think it's funny. The devil would love to discourage you. He wants to get your eyes on success instead of significance. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how many people. It could be two. It could be 20. It could be 200. It doesn't matter how many. That's what the world says is success. What matters in the kingdom is relationships and what we're accomplishing together. When you as a small group, when you guys have the relationships together, that's what matters in the kingdom of God. That we're accomplishing things for his kingdom. The devil tries to get your eyes off of that. Tries to come in with the attack of discouragement. Don't get discouraged. We have to have this tenacity, this persistence. So chapter 6 and verse 1 Watch this. It says, Sanballat again, Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. And so they hadn't completely fortified everything yet. And so all these guys, they come and they try one more attack, one more attack on them. And they come to them and they send a message asking Nehemiah, saying, meet me in one of these villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized that they were plotting to harm me. And so Nehemiah says, I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work. I love that Nehemiah says this, the way that he puts this. He says, you can call it what you want and you can ridicule it if you want. And you can say that God is not with me if you want, but I know what he's called me to. 
And I am engaged in a great work and I cannot come down. I can't come meet with you. Why should I come and meet with you? I am engaged in a great work. He's saying what I'm a part of is a big deal. And I don't care if people ridicule for me. I don't care if people say that it's silly. I don't care if everybody discourages me about it. I know what God has called me to. And I know that it is a great work. I know that I am a part of something bigger than myself. Why should I be distracted by you? This is the attack of distraction. Trying to get his eyes off of what he is a part of. And the same thing happens to you and I. The same thing happens to us in our Christian walk that it tries to distract us. And I would submit to you that this is the number one attack that comes against us. To distract us from the work that God has called us to. From the thing that God has called us to do. I would submit to you today that it gets most of us. Because what is that work? We've talked about it the last three weeks that we're on a mission. That we're supposed to be reaching out and touching others and reaching them for the gospel of Christ. But we allow ourselves to get distracted because we forget the principle. Forget what it's all for. We forget that we are engaged in a great work. And watch this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, if anyone is in Christ, that's us. The new creation has come. The old has passed away and the new is here. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And watch this. What is the great work that we are a part of and gave us the ministry of reconciliation? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us the message of the gospel. Entrusted it to us. Watch this. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are a part of a great work. I can't come down. You try to discourage me. I'm a part of something greater than myself. I can't come down. You try to hurl insults and say it's silly and God's not a part of that and you'll never accomplish it. I can't come down. I'm a part of a great work. The message of the gospel has been entrusted to us. The message of reconciliation. What is that? That we would go to others and say that God loves you, that he gave his life for you and you would open your heart to him. He can set you free. That we are a part of a great work, church. That we have been called. That the ministry of reconciliation has been given to us. But how many of us allow distractions to keep us from the work? Distractions to keep us from the thing God has called us to do, the purpose that we have. One of the greatest, greatest influences on my life from John Maxwell wasn't something that he said or something that he wrote. It was a lifestyle that he lived. He said when he was a young man, Early on in his ministry, before he ever had any success or anything like that, he made a commitment in his life that outside of the pulpit, outside of any writings, outside of any speaking engagements, outside of anything like that, any other gifting or influence that God would give him, outside of that, on a personal level, he would lead 200 people a year to Christ. One of the greatest hearts for lost souls that I've ever seen. And now late in his life, he says, I never made it to 200, but I averaged about 180 every year of my adult life. We are called, entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. This last month, we've learned about the call that we have on our life, the mission that we have as a church. That we are on the wall, we are a part of a great work and we can't come down. We won't be distracted. We're going to leverage everything we have. And we're not going to get discouraged because we know this. Galatians chapter 6 as we close. Let us not become weary 
in doing good because sometimes you get tired doing what's right. It's the truth. Sometimes you get tired continually doing what's right, but we're not going to get weary in that because we know that at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Nehemiah knew it. We as a church, we know we are a part of a great work entrusted with the message of the gospel. And if you and I will go at it with everything that we have, if we use everything that we have, we leverage every gift and every opportunity and every influence that we have to spread the gospel, to make a difference. We can impact the world around us. Do you bow your heads with me this morning as we close? Just give me a minute here at the end. Just give me a moment. Because I know there are those of you who have come today and maybe you're far from God. Those of you watching or listening online and maybe you find yourself, I don't know what caused you to get there. I don't know what pain or what things that you had in your life, but you feel like God is a million miles away. And I want you to know today that he loves you and he has a purpose for you. But you'll never live out that purpose unless you reconnect with your creator. Chances are you have felt that about your life, that there was something more, that there was a bigger purpose to what you are doing, that there was something greater for your life. There is, and it comes through knowing your creator. So if you feel like God is so far away, don't leave here that way. I want to pray with you this morning. I want to offer you that message of reconciliation that Jesus says, if anyone comes to him, if anyone calls on his name, you can be saved. It's the first step towards significance in the kingdom of God. As you commit your life to the Savior. So if that's you today and you want to make that decision, I want you to know I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front. I'm not in this to embarrass you. I want to connect you with Jesus. If you say, well, who is Jesus to me? Jesus is the Son of God who lived a perfect life, then died on a cross in our place, was raised to life that anyone, anyone, including you, can call on the name of Jesus and be saved. That his sacrifice wipes the slate clean once and for all. And that you can have that forgiveness in your life. And if that's you, you say, I want to connect with God, or you say, I want to come back to the kingdom. I've strayed. If that's you, we want to pray with you this morning. I can give you the words to pray, but you have to say them and mean them in your heart. So come on, church, let's pray with those. Nobody prays alone. Just say these words, dear Jesus, forgive me for all my sins, for all my mistakes. I surrender my life to you. I make you the Lord of my life. I accept what you did on the cross that you rose again and that you are my Lord in Jesus name. Lord, I thank you for every person in our church. God, I thank you for the difference that we can make in the world around us. God, I thank you as we begin to leverage our gifts, as we begin to leverage every influence you've given us, every opportunity that you would show us that we are a part of a great work. God, that you would begin to show us our purpose, God, that you would continually let us live lives of prayer. Give us, Lord, a clear perspective of ourselves and the challenges that we face. Lord, let us stay in your presence and give us a holy persistence that we would not give up. Lord, that we would keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and finisher of our faith, that we would continually work knowing that what we do makes a difference. 
Continually humble that you choose to use us. Continually humble that we can be a part of the kingdom of God. And we thank you and we give you all the glory and all the praise. It's in Jesus' name that we praise. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we put our hands together for what God has done today?